This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. If you're to learn more about our church, go to Bethlehem.church forward slash location forward slash south dash campus. We need to get a shorter URL for, for that intro, don't it's you think? A, it's a bit cumbersome. It is. It, it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can petition somebody to uh, figure that out. Nick is joining us today. Nick, welcome. Thanks, Nick. Have you ever seen that meme that just says, I'm just happy to be here? That's oh. how I feel. Oh. I'm just happy to be here, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, welcome back from Florida. Thanks. Your, Glad uh, to be here. Your beard, kind is, of. Your beard is shorter than I expected. <laughs> yeah, kind, of. He's kind of. I got rid of the vacation beard this morning. <laughs> Did your wife cry or rejoice? Uh, she wasn't. She wasn't around when I did it. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm presently shorn, much to the chagrin, the shorn chagrin of all my children, who uh, all want me to grow it back, really, really fast. So, uh, Dave, just what was the highlight of Florida? Uh, just uh, time, time together. A lot of time, just playing in the ocean, playing on the beach. Building sand castles, so six or seven hours in eighty-five degree weather every day. And uh, our one of our favorite things was that multiple times a day, our little guy Apollos would say, "I'm just so happy," <laughs> <laughs> and that made that made us that made us happy. Uh, I think he was representing all of us. So, praise God. That's great. That's great. Well, today we're kind of doing a bonus episode for our previous five. So we finished a five-part series on the doctrine of the church. And right now it is uh, October 8th, October 7th, something like that. And uh, we are a little bit less than a month out from uh, the election. So one of the things we thought we'd do over the next several weeks is talk about topics in relationship to uh, just the church and culture, and maybe a little bit geared towards our present moment. So one question that came up in a conversation with a member at South was just, uh, you know, here's all this rich, robust doctrine, you know, where uh, the church is an embassy of heaven. Um, The church is led by elders. Um, You know, first Timothy three, the church, the church's membership has like an actual authority with real responsibilities. And we talked about the two sacraments or the two ordinances, baptism and communion. Weekly communion, y'all. We're there. Hey, yo. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're happy about that. So if you've got more questions about that, um, we'd love to, to chat. Um, we're really excited about that change. But in addition to all those things, just the question of, well, then how does the church just relate to the surrounding world? Mm. So there's a number of different models that have been proposed um, and so standing on the, the shoulders of people like uh, this Dutch Reformed scholar and pastor, Richard Niebuhr, who write, wrote a book uh, oh, 70 years ago called um, Christ and Culture. And then Don Carson, who's a, a Baptist evangelical who's kind of familiar in our circles, he wrote a book. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, called Christ and Culture Revisited. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I did a, a seminar at uh, South Campus for the family seminars on this topic, just talking through it. So we thought in our uh, previous five minutes of conversation before we came on uh, that we should... Uh, this is very spontaneous. Yes, it is somewhat spontaneous. 
that we uh, should maybe <clears throat> talk about those a little bit and then talk about just our current cultural moment. So uh, I'll just list them and we can kind of jump back and re- revisit some of them. So the first um, one that Richard Niebuhr and Don Carson talked about is Christ against culture. So protecting um, the church, protecting um, the gospel when the culture wants to infiltrate or even directly uh, persecute the church. So this is protecting and kind of sets the church against culture uh, as an antagonist. So culture is antagonistic towards the gospel and the church. The church must respond in kind. We see pictures in uh, in uh, the New Testament about, um, you know, uh, war that isn't actually war, right? It's, it's uh, imagery that Paul utilizes and others utilize to say, like, we're, we're in a war, but it's a spiritual war. Um, so uh, I think uh, people that are culture warriors or would use that label for themselves um, would probably fall under this banner. So mm-hmm. Christ is against culture. We need to um, be for the gospel and against the surrounding culture whenever the culture is against that. The second is Christ of culture. So this is... Uh, what Niebuhr and Carson talk about in terms of assimilating or uh, they would say synergism. So it's the kind of thing where I see Jesus everywhere. I see, I see God's grace in all kinds of things. I see God's grace in the culture. Um, look at this particular artistic thing. Look at this particular um, form of entertainment. Does this not speak to deeper gospel realities? Then there's the Christ above culture model which is asserting or a, a synthesis. It's a, it's a kind of thing where Christ is seen above all, above all cultures, and the church sets itself up to assert that, to assert, yes, Christ is above all cultures. Therefore, all cultures conform to Christ. And it sees, so in synthesism, it sees a, a way in which um, Christ and the declaration that he is Lord works itself into every culture. Then Christ in paradox to culture. This is the uh, the church as a culture is super separate from the world around it. Um, this might be a little bit more of the fundamentalist impulse that would say, hey, uh, whatever is going on in the world, the church is always unchanging. It's unaffected by the culture. And then lastly, Christ transforming culture, which is the kind of an influencing model. So the church and Christians go about transforming the culture that they're in changing um, the culture with the gospel and with the word of of Jesus. So, um, yeah, so there's uh, five different models. So what do you guys, what do you guys think in terms of just different examples of Christ against culture, maybe in our present day, maybe historically, what are examples of, all right, the church and the culture surrounding the church are at odds and the church needs to walk faithfully. Um, Know, even though the culture is opposed to them, what would be either either some you see in scripture, some you see in history, or an example from our own day? Well, hopefully those things are tied together. We want to be Bible people, so I think that as we look at today, you know, I mean the the obvious ones are the the agenda of uh, sexuality and the agendas of um, abortion and, and and things like that that are just very obviously against. Um, really, really, both of those deal with the image of God and, and how we think God has created us in his image. 
male and female and, and that there's intrinsic worth in every human being. And so we're, we're against where the culture has gone and legalizing uh, and even celebrating sin because we have, to, we have to be faithful to Jesus. So those would be two really obvious places where we, we have to stand against where the culture has gone in, in those things. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, and I mean, just to uh, piggyback on that just a little bit, just the devaluing of life in general um, in many different spheres. So not only at the beginning of life, you know, a baby's not a, a baby if it's in the womb, <laughs> um, but then devaluing it even at the end of life. And so thinking about, you know, what, what actually is the intrinsic value of life because we have the image of God. Um, pervades in many different areas in our society. So we have to stand against that because humans are made in the image of God. Um, so I, I just think that, that that gets into the nooks and crannies of our culture in ways that sometimes we don't even think about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah certainly the, the, those that would kind of take a hold of this view, and again, these views are relatively artificial that Niebuhr mm-hmm. uh, is interacting with, but he would you know, look at, uh, you know, kind of the fundamentalist impulse of like, all right, uh, the world uh, and all that is in it is not from God, but is of the world. Um, the world is passing away with its desires. So um, my my thought is like that's, that is aspects of culture that are uh, dark and evil, but not culture in total right. necessarily right. by any means. Yep. So. <clears throat> then there's and the... It- Go ahead. I was just going to say, just when I'm thinking about um, Christ against culture, obviously we do have to stand against culture and types of cultures that are anti-Christian. But we have to do that always keeping in mind that cultures are made up of people. And so as we stand against culture, we just need to continue to say, and we need to love the people um, who are in this world without a savior. Um, And so... Yes, stand against the culture, but we need to make sure that we're not dehumanizing in a way that that culture is dehumanizing. So the second model is Christ of culture. This is kind of, um, I mean, I would say in its more um, totalizing viewpoint, it's actually like liberalism um, or even a sort of uh, whatever you see um, Mm -hmm. is good. Just whatever is out there is good in in some sense. So you're you're striving to find the good in everything, and that's the impulse. So it's the the impulse that looks and says what's in culture um, comes downstream from God, and is therefore good and to be received with thanksgiving. And uh, Niebuhr says kind of interacts uncritically with the world, but. We would say that there are some ways in which, um, you know, we can look at the world surrounding us. We can look at elements of culture and see aspects of the greatest story, aspects mm-hmm. of um, the reality that God is real and grace is needed and sin is is real. And I think that's perhaps what one thing about this Christ of culture um, perspective would deny is that the effects of sin are not as pervasive um, as some of the other models would say, but what would you say as an example of whether whether accurate or inaccurate of um, this is good and to be received with thanksgiving, um, you know, at, 
either an aspect of culture or something to that effect. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things in the culture, um, you know, where you can receive it as good, but you can fall off into a ditch, right? I think I've heard about ditches before. Right, yeah. We talk about ditches. So, I mean, I, you know, just sports, something that comes to mind. We can receive sports as something that's good, um, and we can enjoy it as Christians, and we can even um, worship God through it in the display of human um, creation and uh, physical um, activity and things like that that God created, and we can marvel at his creation. So it just it kind of reminds me of, you know, like Joe Rigney's book, The Things of Earth, where we can take things around us, including culture that isn't sinful in itself, and we can follow it up to its source in God and take joy and delight in it as a delight in God. Um, and so there's all sorts of things, you know, in, in, there can be art that we can take joy and delight in and trace it back up to it, the creativity that's in God and worship God through it and uh, things like that. As long as either we don't partake in culture that's inherently sinful or we don't make the gift and the culture itself the ultimate good. There is a movie director, Terrence Malick, who wrote mm-hmm. uh, and directed a movie called Tree of Life, and more recently um, a, uh, a movie called A Hidden Life, which is about a um, uh, Christian martyr, actually a Roman Catholic martyr in Germany who refused to fight for uh, Nazi Germany. And he would probably, uh, supposedly, um, he's uh, at least influenced by an upbringing in Christianity, you would probably fall under this this banner. Look at all the good that you see uh, everywhere in God's good created world. Um, that again can be taken, you know, as you said, Nick, it could be taken too far. Mm-hmm. Um, so the third view is Christ above culture, um, which is basically takes that Christ um, asserts His revelation and lordship over everything, and so culture, as it stands, needs to be. Uh, uh, perfected by um, uh, perfected by the revelation that is Jesus Christ and the scriptures. So Niebuhr says that Thomas Aquinas uh, held this view, that this was uh, something where culture needed to be augmented or increasingly influenced by um, Christian revelation, but that culture was um, you know, good and meant to be received with thanksgiving in a lot of ways. So Growing up Roman Catholic, you know, and certainly you see a lot of, if you've ever read uh, First Things magazine, which is often a uh, thought of as a cultural commentary on, um, you know, uh, our culture from a Roman Catholic perspective, you see that sort of impulse. That's sort of like culture as good as it stands, but it must be augmented by revelation to be perfected in its own way. Guys, know of anybody that uh, holds this or any examples of the church uh, seeking to augment or perfect culture? Yeah, I mean, it, we you talked about these categories being uh, artificial, so it's something. Mean, it's hard to just say. Do you know of anyone who holds this exactly? But I, I think uh, we we all do this in some ways with the things we like or the positions we hold, you know, say that we uh, like a certain uh, party's platform 
better than in other parties. And we say, that's good. Look at all those good things. And now if we can just influence it with a few more Christian views, we can, we can really have a, a perfect uh, party that we can kind of get behind or, um, or, or anything like that. You know, I mean, I, th- I think we're always, we're always a people who know Christ is above all and a people who, like Nick said, are, want to enjoy and participate in this culture we live in. And so we're, we're kind of always doing this. We're always kind of trying to bring Christ to bear on everything in a certain way, the things we enjoy and the things we value. I don't know if I know anyone that just kind of holds it in total, but I think we're always doing this yep. in different ways. So the fourth view is Christ and culture as paradox. This kind of the dualist view, again, Here's these two separate worlds, and maybe they influence each other some, um, but they're not necessarily, uh, they don't overlap significantly, as opposed to like the first view, Christ against culture, which is like there's there is opposition. This is just more like, here's these two worlds, and these two worlds don't necessarily meet that much, or if they do, they're in competition, they're in tension. Augustine's um, City mm-hmm. of God would probably be here the city of man the city of god and though we live in one we're of another uh, we talk about this right we're citizens of mm-hmm. two kingdoms which doesn't mean we reject our earthly citizenship um, but it means that we hold them in tension there's some tension there that just always will be the case yeah and it kind of reminds me too of like the historic anabaptist view of pol- political engagement um where they would just say, nope, we are, it's totally different. We're Christians. That's the, um, the human side of governance, and so we are not going to involve ourselves at all. Um, we're just going to abstain from any sort of political engagement whatsoever, yep, yep. which comes from a view of this, this culture and Christ are just total paradox. They yep. don't meet. Yep. So it's not even so much the impulse of like just what's out there is bad, just so much the impulse of, what do we have to do with, with what's out there? Right. Like, yep. It's not our concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and that's definitely the way that historic Anabaptists, um, Mennonites, Amish, Amish, yeah, brethren, yeah. Yeah. Um, certain certain aspects of the Brethren Church would lean that direction pretty hard. Um, although that's another podcast for another time because some of the early Anabaptist history shows the exact opposite uh, mm-hmm. impulse, which is mm-hmm. to some degree uh, possibly historically why they're less engaged or not engaged today. So anything you can think of here, Dave, by way of Christ and culture, kind of in separate, there's separate uh, categories held in tension. I don't think anything besides what we mentioned. The one that came to my mind was just kind of the Amish or Mennonite inclination to say, hey, yeah, we're we're here, but we're going to basically try to divorce ourselves from the culture as much as we can with a you know with an idea that we're uh, protecting ourselves in some way from the the influences sure. out there as well sure do yeah. you just a question do you think that there might be an in- impulse at the root of this one that might be worth holding on to though is that Christ is like it's a different kingdom right and so we're members of heaven first and so really in some sense regardless of what does happen on earth and what does happen in our culture um, there's nothing up for grabs in Christ. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't engage, so we don't want to take it all the way to its logical inc- conclusion, but we do want to say, nope, I'm a member of heaven, the, the, the kingdom of heaven. And so 
in a sense, come what may, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there is. I mean, I'd say there. we're going to get to the end here and just talk a little bit about Don Carson's kind of, you know, book that where he uh, kind of maybe had a corrective to Niebuhr. Um, but I think there's something to be held from all these viewpoints, mm-hmm. uh, kind yeah. of like a tool, tools and tool belt uh, approach to culture to some degree. Um, but yes, I think that impulse is good. There, there are tensions and we're, you know, standing uh, in the reformed tradition. Um, you know, we love, we love our Augustine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Augustine, Daniel, just, just stop. <laughs> Augustine, I'm going to, I'm going to ride that one to my grave. So, um, so I think there is something to be, you know, okay, there is tension here, which kind of leads us to the fifth viewpoint, Christ who transforms culture, um, you know, Christ transforming culture. Um, this is, uh, you know, the world and culture has certainly been corrupted by the fall, but the church can have a leavening influence, a, a sanctifying influence to change the artifacts, the, the tools, the pieces of culture in the direction of godliness. Um, so I think about um, growing up in the 1990s, listening to classic hip hop, um, and then discovering sometime in the late, you know, for, uh, first decade of the 2000s, uh, Shylin, you know, and Lecrae, and oh, here is a here's hip hop that's been where maybe its original purpose was this over here. It's been repurposed. Um, and transformed. I think that's just an example that comes right away to mind. But what mm. what else would you guys say? Yeah, I just think that there's all, all sorts of Christian. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm more of art, artistic, um, so I always just think in the the realms of the art. So there's Christians all over the place that are seeking to transform and influence the culture around them with their with their arts, uh, whether it's music, whether it's um, painting, whether it's spoken word, you know, all those types of things. Um, and that's a good thing. We yeah. use the creative impulses that God has given us to, um, shine the light of Christ into every area. Yeah. 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 And so, um, any, any come to mind for you, Dave? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I just always think of this with kind of the, the post millennial view of just all things, you know, where, where, where the, uh, that that view would say Christians are going to continue to, like you said, leaven every part of culture, and eventually we're going to get to this moment where it's been transformed and redeemed. And um, it's a it's a to Nick's point, you know, it's always interesting to think about this because you think about well, here's here's hip hop, and now it's transformed, or here's art, now it's transformed. And honestly, that's always been kind of a funny idea to me because it, it seems like well. It isn't isn't God the creator and we're in his image as creatives and so right. it it, right. it honestly has always seemed like a funny Christian position to be like we're gonna transform hip hop. I'm like, why can't we just honor Christ with hip hop? Sure. <laughs> or you know, I mean I, I, and I get the view and like like I said, some of it's artificial. But in, in some ways I think it's uh uh it's an odd position to try to be reactive as a Christian and say, well, I'm going to do Christian art now, you know, uh, versus I worship God and I want to, I'm artistic like Nick. Like I can't relate yeah. to that. Right. But I, 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 nor can I, I can, I can worship last night and Nick saw me do it as I'm watching, uh, 
a basketball game. And, and Did you worship as the Lakers won, or did you worship as the Heat lost? Uh, neither of those made me worship. Oh, okay. It was a but particular shot. That he particular <laughs> shot. And, was it the dagger at the and, end? And, uh, <laughs> no, not that one. It was, a, it was a different shot that didn't end up mattering very much. But the hours of, the hours of work and creativity and all that went into it really does image our God in a lot of ways. So I can, yeah. I, I, you know, I can worship and I can see, uh, I want to see all of culture transformed in one way and then in a, another way. I just want God to be reflected in all those things. Yeah, totally. And I see that that uh, impulse to Dave. And I mean, you know, people talk about Christian art or whatever. And I just always ask, well, when did the art get saved? That's you right. Know? That's right. When did? That's right. It's just it's. It, and let's, we let's know re, what people, let's redeem it. Yeah, we know what people mean. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. art that's specifically with a Christian purpose, um, but we're seeking to transform the culture with the art. Yeah, that's right. Not specifically, you know, the art itself. It yeah, has a purpose to, art, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah. Yeah. And I think it does, it depends a little bit. All five of these views depend a little bit on what you think culture actually is in its definitional state. That's right. Which maybe we should have talked about at the beginning. What <laughs> is culture? Culture is just, I mean, the collection of things, connections and uh, rhythms that humans individually create mm-hmm. in order to relate to each other right. and express themselves. Mm-hmm. And in as much as humans in their hearts are sinful, they can create culture that is sinful. And I would be one that would say that th- there's a category for, we ought to have a category for um, uh, something that is, uh, I'll, I'll just put it this way, irredeemable. Yeah. Like yeah. That there are kinds, sure. there could be things put together by human um, minds, hearts, hands that are so far gone and so antithetical to God that there's no way in which they could be redeemed. Let's just rewind a few thousand years. Um, there is no way in which child sacrifice to Molech can be redeemed. Right, right. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's so far gone. Um, so we can't like turn around and look at the silver lining of whatever it created or whatever it did. It's just, it's just irredeemable. Um, whereas perhaps there are others, at least conceptually, that would say culture is purely neutral. It's just a neutral commodity, and we it's just completely dependent on what we do with it. I, I'm not sure that, that that's a bit too simplistic. Um, so whereas Niebuhr was very much like, here's five views, and they're kind of, uh, you know, they're separate. They're pretty either-or. Carson's corrective in his book, you know, Christ and Culture Revisited, was essentially more like we we uh, we shouldn't be thinking of these as either or, but more like both and. And particularly, he looked at the second view, the Christ of culture, and just said this borders on perhaps unorthodox in terms of the way that it. Uh, if you really buy into this wholesale, like just you know, there's a little sin to be reckoned with in culture, and therefore you can embrace it uh, wholesale. Carson uh, mm-hmm. corrected that so. I generally like his view. So in as much as we find ourselves in this uh, this present cultural moment, um, what do you think the church ought to be doing in regards to culture here in uh, the United States in 2020? Uh, maybe particularly with, you know, we're a month away from the election, just how ought we think? Maybe not so much what ought we do. That could be another podcast. But how ought we think of ourselves in terms of the church 
in relationship to the culture is X. What? Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of got to the question that I asked you a little bit before. I, I guess I was jumping the gun a little bit, but um, <clears throat> it's just been so helpful to me to think about the church and the people of God as embassies and emissaries of heaven. Um, and so what we're doing is representing um, the rule and reign of our Savior Jesus Christ in every sphere of life. And that's the, the church's sphere, and that is our ultimate identity. That's our ultimate citizenship. And so I'm trying to look at culture and relate to them as primarily a, kingdom of hev- uh, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then when I do that, it seems like all of these things just kind of naturally play out. When I need to stand against something, I stand against something. When something can be transformed and redeemed, I try to transform and redeem it. When something needs to be held in paradox, um, we do that as a kingdom, as a as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so um, that just seems to color everything, and especially walking towards an election, where it can be just so easy to get caught up in the national. Um, the national side of things and my citizenship is here in America. And so what does that mean? Um, it's just so helpful to just remember my primary citizenship is in heaven and that influences how I even relate to the election. Yeah. yeah. And I think a helpful way of thinking about that is this heaven has a culture, right? There is a culture right now in the way that redeemed humanity right now is operating in heaven. And that's someday going to come to earth on earth as it is yep. in heaven. Yep. yep. And so, for us to say, like, our churches ought reflect the culture of heaven in their cultures mm-hmm. um, and be a leavening influence. That is one way to think about transforming culture is uh, churches being faithful and repeated, whether they've got to stand against culture or whatever else they are in their own way, influencing culture in their opposition or in the tensions felt or in the actual transformation of it. Anything else you'd say about this, Dave? Yeah, maybe just to kind of add to what Nick said you know if I think of it as a pastor you know what what I'm always wanting to call our people to is who are we as Christians first so I even think of in first Peter where he says you know judgment begins with the household of God so we we can I think one of the dangers in this election season is we are so uh, concerned with everything out there uh, all the time that we can take our eyes off of in here, you, you know, and just in, in man, judgment's going to begin here. And am I, am I more concerned, uh, practically with who gets elected than I am with uh, diving deep into my identity in Christ and loving my brothers and sisters and loving God with all my heart and loving my neighbor as myself. Now I think those things can be related. I think certainly, I, I don't want to say, that there's no way in which who gets elected has to do with loving your neighbor. Like, like we've talked about, these categories are going to overlap. Right. But I, I do think there's a prioritization practically that happens in our hearts where this particular season makes it so easy to be distracted and not entrust our souls to a faithful creator, but entrust our souls practically daily, moment by moment, to all sorts of other things uh, so that we've we kind of just get caught up in in kind of rafting down the river with the culture rather than even stopping to go, well, should I stand against this? Or or should I, you know, how, how should I 
uh, walk in this moment. And it sounds uh, maybe simplistic, but in the end, what we want to do as a church and help each other do as brothers and sisters is follow Jesus in every in every aspect of our lives. And so uh, that that's where I'd want to just commend people in this season is, man, a, as you think of yourself as a citizen of heaven, you know that that's your primary identity in your in your head. But is that is that what it actually feels like as you make decisions as you pray in your heart? You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, David Livingston said something. I'm going to paraphrase him. Uh, you know, he said he said uh, the election is not going to be the end of the world, uh, but if it is, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh and 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 I, I i i think his point is just like man as believers let us hope in christ in his death and his resurrection and his reign even now over all things and he's he's gonna come back and he's gonna make all things new and and all this culture is gonna be transformed at some point and and caught up in him and so man i want i want people to be looking forward to that day and hoping in that day. Yeah. Good work, Tom. Thanks for joining us, Nick. You bet.